Welcome to Rehope Royston Online. We're really glad you're here. Uh, it's amazing that in the midst of being locked out and locked down that we are able to gather and meet as a church and come and, and worship God. And uh, uh, we're glad you're here and uh, joining us uh, for this message. Uh, my name is Wade and I'm a longtime member and a tender of Rehope West End. Uh, I work as uh, the director and interim pastor of Vital Church Ministry UK. As a ministry, we intentionally serve churches that are in the midst of transition or crisis. And so for over 25 years, uh, Vital Church Ministry as a day job has been working with churches in the midst of crisis. So we completely understand the anxiety the fear and pressures that everyone is feeling right now. See, our world is changing before our eyes. We're all experiencing some firsts every day. For example, as I'm recording this, my neighbors have probably never seen me uh, preach out my bedroom window before. I've never seen anybody preach out the bedroom window before. It's certainly a, a first for me. And in the midst of this world crisis, um, there's some challenges and uh, change that we face as a church. And in the midst of these change, in the midst of this change and these challenges, we can either be paralyzed with fear or we can just stick our head in the sand and pretend this will all blow over soon. And we'll just wait until things get back to the way they were, uh, which I'm sorry to say, but there will be a new normal. Things will never be the way they were. Or as a church, we can look for opportunity. We can look to see what God is doing and what the Spirit is saying to the church. I feel a little self-conscious because Laura did such a great job last week uh, preaching to the camera and communicating to us. And, and she told us last week that the church can shine in moments like these. The church has a response. The church has a message. And it's important for us to know what that message is. It's easy for us to default to just say, you know what, you need to go to church. You should pray more. You need to pray. Or our thoughts and our prayers are with you. Hey, you know what, don't worry about things. God's in control. Now, this might be true to some degree, but does it sound like good news to the listener in the moment? See, as followers of Jesus, we believe that Jesus is alive and that there's good news to tell. And in the midst of chaos, we have a message of peace. In the midst of, uh, in, in pain, we have a, midst, a message of comfort. In uncertainty, a message of certainty. And all the noise of bad news, we have a message of good news. I mean, this is message is not for only for the sinner, but it's also for the saint. So let's remind ourselves what that good news is. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 15. It'd be good to be able to follow along. We're, uh, we're going to go through this passage. We're actually going to look at a very popular passage, one that will be very familiar to many, a passage known as the parable of the prodigal son. Um, being a prodigal, a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter even, is, is even made it into pop vernacular. So it's a, it's a passage that is very familiar to even maybe those that don't have a background in church. But to give ourselves a little bit of context and who Jesus is talking to in here, uh, we look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. We see that the audience is 
tax collectors and the Pharisees. So Jesus uh, has has these uh, the tax collectors, the sinners, as the Pharisees called them, um, have gathered uh, to Jesus to listen to him teach. And the, and the Pharisees have gotten mad. They're mad because Jesus is associating with these. He's a, he's a leader. He's uh, seen as a, as a rabbi. He should be a leader in, the, uh, in the, the religious movement. And so they're upset. So you have this crowd. You've got sinners and the self-proclaimed righteous. The parable of the prodigal son is set in a triplet of parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, uh, the first two parables, there's something that is lost and someone goes out to find it. And then there's a celebration and rejoicing when it's found. The lost sheep and the lost coin represent the sinners. And someone leaving and going out and finding the lost among the group, the sheep and the coins, and bringing them back into the fold. The third parable here in this triplet is different. And so in verse 11, uh, let's take a look at it. Jesus says, he continues, uh, also said, he also said, a man had two sons. So let's stop there. There's two sons in this story, and that's important. This parable is a parable of two sons, not just the prodigal son. And this parable is different because it represents two ways to be lost or alienated from God. And in contrast, notice when we get there that no one goes out to search for the prodigal son. Most of us should see a little of ourselves in one of these two sons. And if you don't see a part of yourself in this parable, then a little bit of a spoiler alert, there might be a little bit more older brother in you than you think. And so Tim Keller writes, both of these sons represent the way we miss God and we miss the gospel. So, okay, traditionally, the spotlight is on the younger son, often called the prodigal son. So what does prodigal mean? Well, according to the Oxford Dictionary, prodigal means as an adjective, spending money or using resources freely and recklessly or having given something on a lavish scale. So as a noun, it's a person who spends money in a recklessly extravagant way. So file that away. And at the end, let's see who we believe the real prodigal is. Okay, so verse 12. The younger of them said to, the fa- to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he, the father, distributed his estate to them. And not many de- days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, A severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. And then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the uh, carob pods the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up. I'll go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. 
So he got up and he went to his father. So what's going on here? The younger son wanted his inheritance before the father was dead. Now, in that culture, and maybe even ours, that would be hugely offensive and shameful and costly. So what would have happened is, is the, the, the father would have to sell off his land and all of his possessions in order to give his sons um, their inheritance now. And the way that that would have been divided up during that time is that one-third of the inheritance would have gone to the younger son and two-thirds would have gone to the older son. Now, as an older son myself, I still think that that's a, uh, an excellent idea. Just in case there's any of my family uh, listening, uh, I still think we should uh, follow that example. But however, this would have been shocking to the listeners. No way should the father do this. There's no way they would have expected it or should the father actually follow through with it. And yet so he does. And the younger son monetizes everything and he takes off. And he's looking for something. He's looking for acceptance or enlightenment or happiness, joy, peace in the things of this world. He squanders his, his, his estate on wild living. And maybe many of us have experienced this as sons and daughters. Maybe, maybe some of us, to some degree, might still be striving or looking for something in this manner. So he squanders everything. Nothing's left. And then a famine hits. A crisis. And he was in need. And so he sold himself out to feeding pigs. Now, pigs represent that that's unclean. They're nasty physically, and more importantly to the listeners, they're spiritually unclean. And he was hungry. And the pig's lifestyle starts looking better than his own. And he even started to long for their food. So his plan, he hatched his plan. His plan was to return to his father and to repent. Not to be forgiven necessarily, but to only be shown enough grace and to work with the hired hands in the field. So what's his motivation? Is it a changed heart? Is he missing his family? Does he realize he's wrong? I don't think so. I think it's, a, it's an empty stomach that it's motivating him to go back. So now after he's hatched his plan, he starts his journey home. And we pick it up in 20, verse 20. But while his son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. Now we have to understand as a Middle Eastern man in Palestine would have not run anywhere. Children run, maybe women, young boys, but a pillar of the community, an owner of a large estate would have not lifted his robe, bared his legs and ran out like a schoolboy. They don't run anywhere. It's undignified. And so to the audience, this is an outrageous response. And it continues. Verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his slaves, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So filled with emotion, he ran out and greeted him. 
kissed him, lavished him with gifts, and welcomed him back into the family. He interrupts his little speech that I'm sure he had been practicing and going over in his mind, but he cuts him off and he says, bring the robes, bring the ring. The ring signifies this reestablishment in the place in the family. And they, this fatted calf, they go and slaughter the prized fatted calf, fatted calf and they, they throw a party. So who's starting to sound like the prodigal now? Who's being lavish and recklessly extravagant? Now, some have taken this and they focused on this and have said, look, there's no atonement, there's no penance, there's no apology. So in other words, there's no need for death on the cross or a savior who pays for sin. See, this shows us that God's love is God's universal love unconditionally accepts everyone just as we are. But if that were true, then the story would have stopped here, but it doesn't. This isn't the climax of the story. The first part of this story shows the freeness of God's grace to the recipient. The second part of this story, of this parable, shows us the cost. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told them, and your father has slaughtered the, slaughtered the fatted calf because he is back safe and sound. Then he became angry, and he didn't want to go in. So why is the brother, brother angry? What does the father accepting the younger, uh, the younger son back mean? What are those listening to Jesus? What are they hearing? Well, see, if the father has already split his inheritance and now he accepts the younger son back into the family, puts the ring on his finger, reestablishing him into the family, that means he's now heir to a third, again, a third of an already diminished wealth. So yeah, he's dipping into the the older son's inheritance. So he's angry, rightfully so, right? So then he refuses to go into the party and he sets out in the huff. Verse 38, uh, second half of verse 38, it goes on and says, So the father came out and pleaded with him, but he replied to his father, Look, I've, I've been slaving many years for you. I have never disobeyed your orders, and you, yet, you have given, uh, yet you've never given me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who was who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fat, fatted calf for him. The father goes out and pleads with him to come in to the feast. But the older brother disgraces him, not addressing him as a, an esteemed father, but he says, look, might as well just say, look here, old man. I've been obedient. Where's my fatted calf? Not even a goat. My obedience deserves a reward. So what was the older son's obedience motivated by? Was it for his love for the father? Or did his motivation lie elsewhere? Verse 31. Son, he said, You have always, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Just as the father didn't disown the younger son, he also didn't disown the older son. 
Yet this story ends unresolved. So what happens to the older son? Is he going to swallow his pride and enter the party? Or will he remain outside, separated from the father? This is a story of two lost sons. Both sons want the same thing, the father's riches, not the father himself. They went about it two different ways. The younger son, he has this big power play, dishonors his father and requests his inheritance before the father died. The older son, he remained and tried to earn the riches by never disobeying the orders. By conventional standards, we might see that one son is bad and one is good. Yet here, both are alienated from the father. With the older brother, it's not the sin that created the barrier, but it's his pride in his moral code. It's his self-righteousness. Sadly, this might actually be a reality for many of us. Author Tim Keller writes, Like the older brother, if you think you should... Uh, God should help you and bless you because you've worked so hard to obey him and to be a good person. Well, then Jesus might be your helper, your example, even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. You are serving as your own savior. So here's the test. When things don't go right or when there is hardship or tragedy, such as maybe a worldwide pandemic, And see, we know maybe some of us are going to lose our jobs. Maybe we're going to know someone who not only gets uh, the coronavirus, but possibly dies from this disease. So how will we respond? Are we going to get angry with God? Do you fall out with him? Do you feel, you know, I don't deserve this. I don't lie or cheat or steal. I don't go to 18 rated movies. Maybe I don't drink alcohol. I've remained chaste all these years. I treat my family well. I deserve better. This isn't the life I planned. If we feel that way, then deep down, you think God owes you something. Or maybe we look down our noses at those that don't fit in. They don't belong here. You know, I'd invite them to church or to my Bible read-through group, but they really need to get their act together first. You feel it? Oh, how easy it is to slip, to be a modern-day Pharisee. And if you're sitting there thinking, oh man, so-and-so really needs to hear this. No, older brother, this is for you. See, the first two parables in chapter 15 are about the sinners. This third one is about the Pharisees. The focus of this this parable is not the prodigal son, but the older brother. Elder brothers obey God to get things. They don't obey God to get God himself in order to love him, to know him, to delight in him. The religious older brothers miss God just as much as the irreligious younger brothers that run away from God and try to define what is right and wrong for themselves. See, there are two ways of being your own savior, breaking all the moral laws and setting your own course And one is by keeping all the moral laws and being very, very good. See, Jesus' message, which is the gospel, is completely different. It's not religion, being very, very good, nor is it irreligion, breaking all the rules and doing your own thing. 
See, in the spectrum of morality and immorality, or moralism and relativism, or conservatism or liberalism. See, the gospel isn't in the middle. It's not a balance. It's something different altogether. See, in our culture, the elder brother, the elder son says, the moral right, upright people are in, like us, right? And the bad, the foreign, are out. The younger brother, they may not believe God, but they say it's the tolerant, inclusive people that are in and the bigoted, narrow-minded people are the real problem and they're out. But Jesus says the humble are in and the proud are out. See, in this parable, both sons are lost. Both are wrong, but both are loved. Yet the story doesn't end the same for both. Dr. Edmund Clowney points out that in the first two parables of chapter 15, the lost sheep and the lost coin, Jesus responds to the mutterings. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them by inserting himself into the parables as the one that goes, leaving the 99 and search for the one or searches until the lost coin is found. Yet in the parable of the lost sons, he steps out of the story and puts in his place the Pharisees. The older brother was doing just what they were doing, refusing to associate with sinners. We do not understand this parable if we forget who told it and why. Jesus Christ is our true older brother, the firstborn of the Father. He is the seeking shepherd who goes out to find the lost. He is the resurrection and the life who can give life to the dead. He is the heir to the Father's house. To him, the Father can truly say, Son, all I have is yours. He who is in the Son became the servant that we might be made sons and daughters of God. This parable is incomplete if we forget that our older brother is not a Pharisee, but Jesus. He doesn't merely welcome us home as the brother did not. He comes to find us in the pig pen. And he puts his arms around us and he says, come home. Remember I said that the first part of the story shows the freeness of God's grace to the recipient. The second part shows us the cost. We need the true older brother. We need Jesus. Jesus knew the Father's heart, and in Him, uh, we recognize the full measure of the Father's love. God is a holy God and is not permissive of sin. The full price of sin must be paid. Now, this is an oversimplification, but you know, if you're in a shop, uh, someday when we get to go back to the shops and and or one of your kids knocks some you or one of your kids knocks something over or breaks something you know the shop owners have the right to ask you to pay for it not long ago i was um, i was in the supermarket and i uh, had dropped an entire container of greek yogurt i think the lid just popped off and it hit the ground and exploded on the floor made a horrible mess Uh, i found one of the workers and one of the employees and they came over and they said you know what don't worry about it i'll clean it up he cleaned it up and i didn't have to pay but someone did someone had to pay the employee to clean it up someone had to pay for the yogurt and it wasn't me i received free grace but someone had to pay 
Jesus paid the full price. Only Jesus can welcome sinners and say, it's okay, I'll clean it up and you can come into the feast. On the cross, Jesus paid the full price. And in times like we're in now, how can the inner workings of the heart be changed from a position of fear and anxiety and maybe anger to that of love, joy, and gratitude? Here's how. You need to be moved by the sight of what it cost God to say, it's okay, come on home. When our hearts are moved by the cost, that's when we get the gospel. That's when we get the gospel and we we finally stop trying to earn our acceptance from God. And our obedience becomes one out of gratitude. And our duty turns to delight. And our treasure is not in the blessings from God, but God himself. So who's the real prodigal of this story? If there was a prodigal of this story, it's Jesus. Jesus is the prodigal. Jesus is the prodigal savior. I've got a couple challenges for us. As we reflect on this and the two sons, how is your heart like the younger or the older brother? The younger son or the older son? Reflect on that. How is our heart, how do we see ourselves in these two sons? Repent. Reflect on the cost, on what it cost for us to come into the feast. The second challenge is this. During your daily abide time, or your quiet time, or whatever you call it, whatever that looks like for you uh, throughout the week, just set some time aside to sit quietly with God. Just turn off the distractions and just sit, listen, be present, abide with him. God is the prize. I want to thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in to Rehope Royston. I pray that um, wherever you are, uh, whatever you get up to this week, that you will be blessed And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you next week. God bless.